And welcome back. This is Vinyasa Mescal. It's a beautiful representation of who we are. And that's why we have this title. Vinyasa Mescal. And I wanted to ask you, uh, and of course, every single one of you, have you ever stopped and think about the patterns of how you find people attractive? Have you consciously thought beyond like physical features? Um, have you realized, have you analyzed your relationships and gone to, oh yeah, I, I have seen this played out in my different relationships. Is that something that we do or is something that we unconsciously just leave there and tell us to be attracted to someone? I think it depends on the person and I think that I mean, you have all these relationship experts nowadays and they'll tell you to make a list of the things that you like so that you can identify it, you know. Everybody is hooked on the idea of intentionality. So I think some of us are mindful and it's like, yes, uh, my mate needs to have these characteristics, whether they be physical or not, you know. When you think of non-physical characteristics, you know, it might be making a certain amount of money or living in a certain place or driving a certain car or dressing a certain way, which, of course, would be physical. But, um, you know, having a certain religious belief. Um, I think people are mindful of that. But I think also that when it pertains to what we call patterns, we typically assign the word patterns to when something hasn't worked out and do I have patterns like because if things are working out we don't look for patterns we only look for patterns when something's not working but do we do we really do that do we really go back and analyze do we look for those patterns or we just can't be basically sad and oh my god didn't work out because the world is against me do we look into ourselves I think, again, it comes back to the person, but I think right now we live in a society where everybody is analyzing everything and we all want to label it and put it in the boxes. That's who we are as people. We've always been that way and maybe we didn't used to do that with relationships. We, we did it with something. We're taught to do it in school. It's called a higher order thinking, being able to classify things and put things in boxes and label them and categorize them and look for patterns and say, this is like this. Um, you know, like, you know, you and I are both reading teachers and we teach kids how to classify things. You know, we do Venn diagrams. How is this like this? How is this different from this? We look for patterns, maybe not attributing it to relationships, but we train people to do this. And again, we label it higher order thinking and we feel like if we do that and our kids are successful at doing it, then we've been, we've been successful and they're good thinkers. Do people automatically attribute it to their relationships or to their lack of success in relationships? Maybe not. But again, I feel like at some point we say we live in a litigious society where everybody sues everybody. Well, currently we live in a society where everybody wants to analyze and let me look for my patterns. Let me break my cycles. Let me figure out why things aren't working out the way I thought that they should. So I think that there are a lot of people who now have all of these strategies and tools to try to figure out what's wrong with them and how to fix themselves and how to have, you know, a more fulfilled life. Isn't that what we go to therapy for? Isn't that like 
people basically analyzing us and giving us a series of steps to improve ourselves, to uh, become a better version of ourselves. Uh, isn't that what we do? That's what we do. Again, we're trying to do it. I went to see the Barbie movie with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, begrudgingly, of course. I had several friends who thought that it would be a great idea for me to see this groundbreaking movie that was simply going to change my life and just enlighten me in ways that were just, you know. So I was like, okay, let me just go give in. I'll be a good friend and go hang out because I really didn't believe in it. And of course, after I watched it, I still didn't believe in it. And in the beginning of the movie, the little girls are playing with dolls and they have been conditioned to treat the dolls as, as mothers, right? But then when Barbie comes and Barbie can be the president and Barbie can own her own house and Barbie can own this and she can do that and da 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 da, da. And it was supposed to revolutionize the female experience. And then, you know, and Barbie thought so. She thought she had changed the world and she had saved everybody until she went to the real world and realized that it wasn't so. And so, yes, we do. Um... Somebody thought that something was wrong with the way little girls were living in the world. So they created a doll that was supposed to change the way little girls were experiencing life. And I'm not against that. So definitely don't get me wrong there. But it goes to what you just said. We go to therapists to do what? Fix us, to fix what's wrong. We analyze our past relationships to look for patterns of behavior and cycles of dysfunction so that we can disrupt them and we can change them. We can fix ourselves and we can be our best, most authentic, real selves. Like it's a part of the um, pathology, if you will. Like, yes, currently in this world, we are self-helped to the T. So within, within this process, do you think we should not do it that much? Do you think it's overexposed, just like the, that movie where, um, you know, there's a bunch of people saying, doing, giving you steps, selling you recipes? Um, is, is that uh, an overexploitation of what it is and therefore lacks, uh, you know, authenticity and maybe value? Or is it still something that is valuable uh, even though it, it's been uh, basically commercialized in a way. Yeah, I think everything has value. So I'm not considered it's not a valuable thing. But I have to also agree with you. At this point, it's very commercial. Like people are literally um, making their, you know, their livelihood off of becoming experts in what? Relationships. So, you know, I, you and I talked about it. So we probably could just talk about relationships for the rest of our time. And never talk about anything else because that is the topic of the day. Like there are so many people who have dedicated themselves, their practice, whether they have one or not, whether they're quote unquote experts or not, to telling other folks how the best way it is to relate to each other. And then, of course, the greatest relationship we have is the one with ourselves. So let me teach you how to relate to yourself. I myself go to therapy. And it's so interesting because I found myself um because typically, I think in order to learn, you have to listen, right? If you're talking, you're just spouting off what you already know. That's one thought. The other thing I have re realized also is that sometimes just talking yourself, you can talk yourself through whatever, you know, issue you're having. So there's value in it. But I thought to myself, like you said, people will go to ter therapy and they'll look for someone to give them some solution or some strategy to do. And I think it just depends on the person and what they're needing and what they're looking for. 
what I share with my therapist is, is that I don't, I'm not really looking for any strategies. You know, we had actually discontinued this because I felt like I had all the tools I needed. I just needed to put them into place, into play. But when I went back this time, it was I needed a person to talk to. I told her I didn't want to burden my friendships, my friendship relationships with this topic because I felt like I really exhausted it with them. And what else could they tell me at this point? Because we talked about it enough. And honestly, I said to her, I said, I'll come to you because, you know, you, you, that, I pay you to listen. And I don't want to burden my friendships with it. I want my friendships to be, you know, we hanging out, we, you know, eating, we laughing, we talking about Barbie. <laughs> like, I don't want it to be about whatever relationship hangups I still have. So I, again, it like I'm always asking. Well, it depends. Depends on the person. <laughs> Which takes me to that second step of this process. It says uh, establish your core values. So it, it maybe the core values, you know, different in that sense because, you know, I'm I'm more than happy to call you and, and say like, hey, look at this. Yeah, I sometimes uh, retract from it, but, you know, but I I think, you know, that number one. I'm super smart. And number two, my, my friends tell me better. And, and, and sometimes I do that. So is, is that related to the core values of how we perceive and we interact with other people? Basically, these are my core values. My core values are, I can deal with this with my, by myself. I can push it this much or I can push my friendship so much or I can ask for my friendship so much. And I can ask for a relationship, a romantic relationship so much. Is that part of our core values? Is that what makes us us? Is, is that what we basically put that line on the sand? Is that a core value? Whew, now, that's a loaded question, Sophia. For you <laughs> to ask me if that's a core value, um, I don't know, you know. <laughs> it's so interesting that you said that. It's like so much of what you're saying is playing out in my personal life because I had a person at one time say, who you are at your core doesn't change. And I, I have to use that voice because it was a male who said it to me. <laughs> who you are at your core doesn't change. And what's interesting about that particular person is that whatever it is he says always comes back to bite him in the butt because it's like, you're right. At your core, you're a liar. <laughs> so you're correct. And for all the time I've ever known you, you've been a liar. Core values. You know, for me, because you and I have talked about the four agreements. I'm like, everything we got, you know, you and I have debated about nature versus nurture. You know, hours so ago we were eating and we had this very conversation about the things we learned from our mothers. And we could say, is it genetic or is it the fact that this is the person who raised us and we watched them and they were our model of how to interact with the world. And that's more nurture than nature. So I don't know what I'm saying is that at this age. You know, as I'm getting closer to 51, some of the things that I held dear that I thought were core values, I question now. And I see a lot of them as simple conditioning. You and I've had this conversation over and over about when people say, I don't care what the world thinks of me, but that's not realistic because we live in the world and people's opinions of us do impact us. Right. So if that's the case, how can I even say that I have some core value in and of myself? that has not been influenced by how I've engaged in the world. The people closest to me, what they taught me, intentionally, unintentionally, consciously, unconsciously. Where do we have a clear line between what's just me, authentically me, and what's me based on the fact that I have not lived in a vacuum. I have engaged in the world. 
I've read books, I've listened to music, I've watched TV shows, I've watched movies, I've watched my brothers, I've watched my family, I've, and all of that colored me, whether I was aware of it or not, it had an impact on me. It's like this, there's no action without a reaction. You don't ever go into a room and not leave yourself in it. I learned that from watching all of the, you know, murder mystery TV shows. Like there's always evidence that they were there. When you think about yourself, there's always evidence that some ex exchange or interaction with someone or something, even when you think about all the places that you travel, right? A bit of every one of those trips reside in you and they never go away. Mm -hmm. But then my question is, is it a core value, something that is fixed? Because you're talking about like how it's influenced by all these people. But is it a core value then fixed to be a core value? Because we have this, and we have talked about this before, this definition of permanence. In order to be significant, it has to be permanent, right? So is it a core value, something permanent? Because it sounds pretty, pretty solid. When you say core values, oh shit, it's like... Um, um, this is my, my pillar. This is the pillar that defines me. This is the pillar that, you know, uh, basically holds who I am. And if I compromise this core value, if I compromise this idea, then my whole idea of myself crumbles. So is it a core value, something that is so in, uh, permanent that we have to make sure that it's, it's unmovable? Or is it a core value, something that changes like almost like an opinion as simple as that? You get out of the Barbie movie and you're like, oh, my God, is this not a new core value? Can we do that? Is, is that a core value? That's the whole thing, though. I'm just, I think I'm, what I'm challenging for you is, is there such a thing as a core value? Is there such a thing? Because what about those people who hold on to some dysfunctional personality trait and call it a core value? This is who I am. This is who I've always been. As far back as I can remember, ask anybody who know me. This is who I've always been. I'm like, okay, your dysfunction been with you a long time. <laughs> that dysfunctional pattern of behavior has been a part of your experience as long as you've been living. Again, it's like when you say core value, I, I get the impression that core value is a good thing. It's, it's like a pillar. Pillars hold things up. They're foundational. That means they're critically important. Right. But if I tell you that you have a personality trait that's causing you harm, well, that ain't a pillar. That's a dysfunctional personality trait. Well, I mean, if we pare down all the nonsense, are they not the same thing? There's simply a behavioral pattern that we've held on to and developed over time. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, it simply is a behavior that we've held on to. And it just got stronger and stronger and stronger. Why? Because we held on to it and we built on to it. And we added, we, 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 we gauged all of our experiences through the lens of that thing. So then are we just simply convincing ourselves that it's some sort of real deep core value? And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. That's just where I'm at right now. <laughs> oh, you call me on the bad day or what? <laughs> I think that's a very valid point of view about <laughs> core value. No, that's true. Is that something negative can be a core value. That is basically the premise of this. And it is a very interesting uh, question because, again, we go back to that same thing of expectations, right? Core values are supposed to be 
there's good things, there's, the you know, core value is honesty, core value is this and that, and blah, 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 blah. Then we go back to the, isn't it a core value, something that defines you in a way and you have held on to it? Wouldn't that mean also, like what you said, you exemplify it, something negative that has shaped who you are? Maybe uh, when you say core value is like, I don't compromise, that is my core value. Isn't that make you unflexible? You know, like, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, there is the third one, which is uh, basically identify boundaries with yourself and others. This is an interesting step because we have talked about this. We have talked about identifying, you know, these boundaries. Can we identify them and what happens when we identify them? Yeah, I don't like this, but, you know, it keeps happening. But I have identified it. What, what is the, the trick into this? What, what is the usefulness of, of, of identifying these this boundaries that you want to have? What's so interesting about that particular thing that you bring up, um, and I think that's what makes our conversation so awesome. I never know what it is you're going to talk about. And then it's like, wow. Um, like, that's the thing I, I talked to my, my therapist about. That is exactly my thing. My whole thing was like, what do you want to work on? Abraham? What do you want to get better at? And it's honoring my boundaries. And so how do you honor your boundaries? Well, first you have to define them. Well, how do you define your, your, your boundaries? Well, they're based on your core values. <laughs> how do you determine your core values? You know, that stuff that's hung around longer than anything else. So for me, a boundary is, okay, here's a behavior that I do or someone else does, and it makes me feel a certain way. You know, and typically it's going to make me feel bad, right? Because, like, again, if it makes me feel good, maybe I don't even question it. It could be the worst thing in the world, but it makes me feel good, so I don't even think about it. Until it doesn't go the way I want. And now it's like, what the hell? Oh, man, I've been doing this the whole time, you know? So, for me, it's that. It's like I will allow people to push my boundaries. I really want to do this. Well, I don't want to do it. I'd rather do that. Okay. So is that when I give up my boundary because I wanted to do this and because the relationship is more important than this thing that I wanted to do made me say, well, I'm going to do what that person wants to do because I don't want to jeopardize my relationship with them. Is that, you know, weak boundaries? I think that some people would define it as such. What about people who can't define their boundaries? You know, professionally, um, I support teachers in helping kids to identify their emotions. And identifying, one of them is self-awareness, identifying who they are, their core values, how they want to show up in the world, how they want the world to perceive them and how they want the world to engage with them. That's the whole part of the SEL, you know, um, Castle 5. And so it's like, I lost my train of thought. That happens often. <laughs> <laughs> I lost my profession. This is what you Right, but give me some more so I can get back on track. So I was going into the whole professional thing. Of yeah, teaching, teaching the teachers and the students how to identify those, you know, boundaries and emotions. There and you everything. go. So our boundaries. So we, we're teaching, like, getting to know who am I as a person, mm -hmm. how I want to show up, and then when something happens that impedes that, how do I deal with that, right? And so now it becomes conflict resolution a social awareness. How do I deal with this conflict in a way that could possibly save relationships, save me heartache, 
you know, uh, save me from getting into trouble, save me from being, you know, violent or whatever, save me from doing something that's against the law. Because oftentimes when we engage in conflict, we don't know how to solve it. You know, so we're trying to provide people with with skill sets. To me, when you talk about the things that you've asked, that's what it is. So if I can define this for myself and if I can define why it's important to me, that's if it's a core value that it, it, it's really, really important to me. Then I can I can have a better experience at the end of the day. Isn't that really what it's all about? Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to have a better life experience if I intellectualize and name and identify all these things that I'm not just haphazardly going through the world, not really knowing what's going on around me. It's an interesting question. I mean, in a way we have talked about this, which is, is knowledge really power? Mm. Is ignorance bliss? Mm. The fact that you're aware of all these things, does that mean that you're going to be able to translate it into something that is action-based and and, that has a a deeper impact within yourself and the way that you relate to others? We have talked about this, right? Yes, we have many times. So again, we go back to the same thing. It's it's really knowledge about yourself. Is it knowledge in general real power or is it something that can create a further uh, frustration within yourself because you are now aware of all these things and other people that are not aware or they don't want to be aware of they have that excuse and that's why we call ignorance is bliss and then the question becomes what's better because bliss means I'm happy and if ignorance equals bliss and, and, and the other side of that is with great knowledge comes great responsibility So if I have knowledge of myself, this is what I've heard people say. I've heard you say this. Oh, you know better. I know you do. You're choosing to do this, but you know better. So I want to hold you accountable to the fact that you know better and you're choosing not to do better. Correct? Well, then how about I play like I don't know and I pretend really well like I don't know and you're not going to hold me accountable because I'm just ignorant. Right or wrong? Yeah. So what benefit does it for people to know? And to let people know that they know. When you know that once I know, I'm held accountable to it. That's why the law says ignorance is no excuse of the law. Whether you know it or not, if you break this law, I'm going to hold you accountable. That's what they say in the law. Because people can intentionally pretend like they don't know. And some people do intentionally pretend like they don't know who they are and what they're doing and how they're hurting people. And then there's others who maybe really don't know. Maybe they feel like the, and I'll give you this example because it comes back to what we talked about with our mothers and our parents who taught us these things. And when we get to a certain age and we realize that it was them who did it to us, now we pissed off with them. We don't even go a step further to try to understand why are they the way they are. Were their mothers that way? Are they ignorant of the pattern? Because all of, you know, we're, we're highly intelligent and we recognize it. But what if they never did? What if in their generation it wasn't for them to do? It was simply for them to do what they were told to do and not question. But then we were bought, um, brought into the world and then we were taught to question everything. And then eventually we questioned the people who taught us how to question. That's one of the things I've said to parents, like, be mindful of what it is you're teaching your child to do. Because if you teach them how to question authority, you're authority and eventually they're going to question you. And are you going to be able to allow them to do that? Or is that where you'll draw the line in the sand and say, now you're going too far. But that's what you've taught them to do. 
I thought about that today when I thought about my son and where he lives and what he's doing. And I thought to myself, and I've thought about this quite a bit since he graduated, Lincoln is living exactly the life that his father and his mother wanted for him. And the things that we did. Yep, he's doing exactly. So like if we were to sit back and, and I even had to tell his father once, it's like, nah, he's doing exactly what you told him to do. Maybe you could not have imagined that's what it was going to look like. But that's exactly what you taught him to do. That's why I always question when parents get upset about this new generation and all of these things. It's like they're only doing what we taught them to do. I know I probably got a little bit off with that one, but, you know, it kind of no, goes no, back no, to what we said that. at the yeah. beginning, you know? Yeah. And the boundaries, you know, we were talking about that. Basically, this branch out of what happens when you do. Is it meaningful or not? So that's that's how we, we got there. So, yeah, I completely understand. I think the next step, you're going to like it. Uh-oh. In the process. So, let's see, let's see. I, I do, buddy. Happy, happy. Okay. I, I believe in you. So the the last step, you know, we, we have talked about uh, establishing and identifying the patterns of how you relate to the world, right? And then establishing core values, identify the boundaries within yourself and the world. And number four is love mapping. So basically, you create this form of expression about what you have learned. Either in a drawing, in a collage, in a PowerPoint, in, in some artistic way. What was meaningful to you at that point and you represent it graphically? Does that make it more meaningful when you, when you do that? Does that activate more areas in your brain? Does that make it easier to uh, intrinsically keep it there and, you know, say like, oh, yeah, I learned something. Because, you know, as, as teacher, we, we say like, oh, the more that you activate your brain and do it different things and, 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 and different approaches, uh, that's when you retain the information better. Is that what we're doing when we represent ourselves, when we express ourselves artistically? I think, I mean, I agree with that 100% about activating parts of your brain. And yeah, you know, um, the brain is still so un, um, uh, unexamined, right? There's still so much about it we don't know. This the human computer. We've created a lot of things in life that mimic the mystery of this <laughs> existence that we have. Um, and of course, we've done studies to show, yes, if we draw pictures that, in fact, that, I mean, I think I've heard something once in education, in a, in a training, that our mind uh, doesn't think in terms of language, that it does think in terms of pictures and things like that. And then we describe it using language but our brain doesn't process it that way so are we you know um when we represent things graphically you know you hear people talk about um how they process information and some of us are linguistically you know leaning we just process the words and the language and the use of letters and alphabets and, and that whole code and then others, you know, they do need it in the book form and it me has more meaning for them and, and they're able to glean more meaning if you do that. Um, I'll tell you that I'm going through a wellness experience right now, a cohort, where in fact there's a workbook and there's these little graphs and we shaded this little thing. And the first activity we did was draw a picture of our partner and we were activating and probably um, um, connecting 
and building a relationship in, in that art and whatever. And so, yeah, I think that there's significance and there can be learning and there can be reflection and then there could be change of behavior because you engage in things like that, for sure. That sounds very interesting indeed. So we have gone over this four steps and I'm very curious about what people think. Have, have they tried it themselves? Have they, um, you know, done some of this and maybe modified in a way that is meaningful to them? Have they basically started with the process and then midway they're like, oh, this is some BS. I'm just going to go back to my life. I'm too busy to do this. Is is that how we react to to this? Is it consistency the key or is it really the, the buyout process? And is there a buyout process without consistency? There are so many questions about this progress and we, and we basically put some of these questions at the very beginning when we were saying, is this something commercial? Because there's so many people that sell you this, is it this overselling uh, degrading or not degrading, but taking value off because there's so much of it. You're so overexposed to all of this that it loses some value. So I, I would love to hear, you know, just like my friend was giving me this feedback, the feedback from people basically saying their experience with this kind of, of programs and if, if it has helped them or not. Um, I think that it'd be very, very, very interesting too to follow up on that. I agree 100%. Well, that is it for today. We appreciate you. I appreciate you certainly every time. You always are so willfully uh, ready. I'm willful? What? <laughs> willfully ready. That's a new word that I just created. I love it. I love it. Willfully I love ready. It. Um, audience, she's, she's trying to be real nice right now, and I appreciate it. <laughs> Because not uh, you know you were you were talking about it like you never like you never know what I'm gonna basically I don't. say I don't and and that is the way that by the way that is the way I teach I teach it's it's like the the best uh, lessons come out of improvisation like, improvisation she calls it jazz I call it jazz she calls it jazz and I, I love that so <laughs> we just put something out there and I I'd love to see how you go about it how you react to it so let's see how people also react to that as well. Thank you, thank you, and I'll see you, we will see you next time.